Welcome to Bruin Success, where we talk to UCLA alumni and explore the many paths to success beyond UCLA. I'm your host, Katie Russo, and today I'm honored to be joined by the Honorable Kevin Brazil, presiding judge of the Superior Court of Los Angeles County. He holds the distinction of being elected by his peers to serve as the first African-American presiding judge of the largest trial court system in the nation, where he increased the diversity in the court's leadership to reflect the city of Los Angeles. Prior to his appointment to the bench, Judge Brazil was a civil trial attorney for the Los Angeles County Council's office from 1984 through 2002, where he handled personal injury, employment discrimination, dangerous condition of public property, and federal civil rights litigation. Most recently, the UCLA Alumni Association announced him as the recipient of the 2020 UCLA Award for Public Service. Judge Brazil is a double Bruin earning a BA in political science in 1980 and then his Juris Doctor from UCLA School of Law. Kevin, welcome to Bruin Success and congratulations on the UCLA Award for Public Service. Thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to join us today. We're thrilled to have you. So to start us off, COVID of course has changed the entire landscape of how we work. And given that a judgeship is typically conducting work in person in a formal courtroom, what does your work look like now given the context of COVID? So most of our work is done remotely through, we have a system here at the LA Superior Court, it's called LA Court Connect. Okay. So it's very similar to Zoom, which, which we're using, sure. but it's our own system that we created about, oh, almost coming up on a year now. Okay. So basically the lawyers get on the screen, I come on the bench and we conduct the hearing remotely through LA Court Connect. Very, as I said, similar to a Zoom platform. And that's really the future, I think, of the court because one of the problems that has been brought about by COVID is you gotta get people out of the courtroom. You, know, you can't have a lot of people in the courtroom right. or jurors and that's how it spreads. You know, We don't wanna be a, a spreader. So the remote technology is basically allowing us to go forward with proceedings. I think it's the future because we've, the court spent a lot of money to put these screens and monitors in over almost 600 courtrooms. Wow. We have plexiglass shields in each courtroom. For example, my courtroom is a trial courtroom. So I have a large monitor in the courtroom so that the lawyers can see. And then I have two monitors on my bench so I can see the lawyers, I can see the case files. Yeah. And all of our case files are electronic now. So we don't have paper files anymore. Right. So it's just, that's just where the courts are headed. And you're going to see it more and more. I know the federal courts are doing it. Most of the 58, 57 other county courts are using remote technology. And, and I, I do civil. That's my assignment. Got so it. it's rare now that we have lawyers come into the courtroom. Before, before COVID, you know, I'd have maybe 20, 30 lawyers in the courtroom to right. the point where the galley would be full. We'd be putting excess lawyers on certain big cases in the jury box. Now it's, it's nobody. It's me and my, my court attendant and my um, clerk, my JA. And like, for example, this week, uh, I've had hearings every day. I've had one lawyer actually physically appear in the courtroom. Wow. And, and that's usually I hear, hear about 15, 20 matters a day. And so this is so out of the 100 matters we've already heard this week, I've had one lawyer actually physically come into the courtroom. Everybody yes. else has been remote. Wow, that's crazy. Like yeah. you said, with such a significant financial investment to build that system and get everything 
up and running, I, I'm sure, like you said, it's the way of the future that for many people, it's more convenient and you're still able to get the work done. Um, Mm -hmm. so wow, that's amazing. Yeah. So if there are any lawyers out there, (laughs) please listen, use the remote technology, (laughs) LA court connect, www.lacourt.org. I love it. A little, make a little plug. I was going to say, we got to get the plug in for sure. Get the plug in. Love it's it. all there. And it's cheap, awesome. much cheaper than the court call. <laughs> Fantastic. So going back in time, as a political science student at UCLA, did you always know that you wanted a career in public service or did you have a significant experience that kind of lit that spark to pursue this work? For me, you know, growing up, I didn't know any lawyers didn't know any doctors, didn't really know any professionals, didn't really have a mentor. I was the first in my family to go to college. And, you know, I started out at a junior college first, and then I transferred to UCLA. So it wasn't until really I got to UCLA and started seriously thinking about law school that public service became important. And then I I thought about my journey to where I was, and this is just in college. And I thought about all the people who had helped me get there. Friends, parents, relatives, siblings, teachers, you name it. And I always thought, you know, if I make it to where I want to be a lawyer, because at that time, the dream was just to be a lawyer, then I owe something to those people who helped me and I have to give back. And that's how I look at public services. That's my way to pay. And I I see it as a debt. That's the way I pay the debt back is I I volunteer, I mentor, um, I try to help out, um, make financial contributions to the UCLA Alumni Association when I get a little bit of extra money, whatever it takes. But that to me is is a lot of gratification. And that lets me feel as though, you know what, I've earned what I've gotten. Mm -hmm. All right. It didn't, wasn't handed to me. Right. You get something, you, you have an obligation to give something back. And I always use the example to students when I talk to them, you know, as you climb the ladder or you're climbing up to lifting as you climb kind of up to to be what you want to be when you get there or to some plateau, you know, you got, you got a question. There's a fork where do you hold the ladder for someone else or do you push the ladder away? And I always, I always hold the ladder, pull someone else up, bring others up. Because then it, it just gets passed down and they do it for the next generation and the next generation. And, and that's how we get better as, as yeah. a society, as, as a country. And that's how we make a difference. And right. that's what's so important to me is I always thought about when I was in college, you know, you know, I wanted to make money because I didn't have a lot of money coming up. But also I said, I want to make a, I want to make a difference in some way. And I think being a mentor is really key to that. And I know our court, we have a new judicial mentoring program that we just started last year. Oh, that's great. Where judges, and we've probably got over 100 judges who volunteer for this program, we act as mentors to law students, college students, attorneys, people who want to become judges. And it's, it's a way to network, it's a way to help them, the way to guide them. And because when I was coming up, I didn't have that mentor. I didn't right. have that person that I could kind of go to to say, well, what do you think? And right. look at this application. And yeah. am, I really, am I really ready for this? So I'm very proud of the fact that our court started that program. 
a couple of our judges, Sergio Tapia, Helen Zukin, they were the kind of the, the brainchild, their brainchild to get it done. And they really got it established and got it up and running and they're doing a great job running it and super proud of them. And I'm just glad to be a part of it in some small way, but, and we've got lots of students from different law schools who are involved, lots of lawyers from different bar associations. And, you know, it's another way to increase diversity and inclusion. I mean, I think right. that's important. Yeah, that's awesome. That's, and that's one of the things I learned at UCLA is um, how important diversity and inclusion is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, UCLA, definitely that is a key tenet that kind of runs throughout the university. Yep. So a career in public service demands, of course, significant investment in wanting to make society or community a better place for all, like we were just talking about. And unlike many lawyers, judgeship comes with life in the public eye. How do you handle life in the public eye? That's a good question. So usually you, we're governed as judges by the code of ethics, and which has a lot of restrictions. So a lot of times you feel isolated because you can't speak or you can't participate in certain activities because it could appear that there's a conflict of interest, that you, know, you could lower the public confidence in the judiciary. And so we have these judicial canons that we have to follow. So you live by them, but as a judge, your professional life also spills into your personal life. So things that you do in your personal life can reflect negatively on the court and can actually violate the canons. So it's just knowing what the canons require. We do a lot of training for new judges on ethics and what they can and can't do. Uh, for example, like in an election, I can't endorse anyone in an election. Right. So right. I can't put a, a, an election sign on my yard. Can't put an election, you know, vote for Biden Harris. I can't right. put that on my my car, right. a sticker. Yeah, I, uh, I, we're limited in how much we can make in terms of financial contributions when there's an election. Oh wow! Limitation on judges. So you just learn to know what the rules are and follow the rules, and it's to make the court for public confidence in the court, and also to to make sure that we're objective. We don't have yeah. a conflict of interest. So I've been a judge now for 18 years, so I'm, I'm kind of used to it. I was going to say, yeah, you must but be. <laughs> it's, it's, it's part of, it comes with the territory. Yeah. All right, it comes with the job. I mean, being a judge is a lot of responsibility and it does impact your personal life. Not in an oppressive way, but you just have to be aware of what the rules are. Right. And the rules are designed to protect the judges. Sure. That's what, I do a lot of teaching for new judges in orientation programs. And so we always stress to them, your life is going to change. Yeah. Okay. How people react to you will be different. What you can say publicly about certain issues will change. You just cannot do it. Um, so I'm, I've been doing it now for 18 years and I've even helped, you know, make commentary about certain canons and, and why we have them and, and explain. I think once judges, new judges are educated about it, then they understand it and, and they appreciate it. And it's not difficult. Yeah. All right. We do it every day. And then it's, for me, it's just like second nature. All right. It's just like when somebody says, well, what did you think of this case decided by, well, I can't comment on cases. Right. All right. As a judge, <laughs> the judicial canons say, I can't comment on an active case or I can't comment on any of my cases. All right. 
So it happens. Yeah. So kind of going off that that point, um, you touched on something, a kind of a second part I was thinking about of how it how it impacts your personal life and changes your personal life. Obviously, you know, a number of these a number of rulings, you know, are impacting many different lives in some in someone's case. How do you how do you bear the emotional stress from all those different cases? You know, you have to compartmentalize it and realize it's a case. Mm-hmm. Every case is different. Every case is a story. And my job as the judge is to follow the rule of law, to be fair and objective. I kind of look at it like I'm an umpire. I'm calling balls and strikes. Right. And half of the people are going to agree with me and the other half are not. Sometimes everybody's upset (laughs) at my decision. (laughs) Okay. But that's what I'm here to do and to be fair, to be objective, to interpret the law with reason, compassion. So that's what we try to do. And you can't really get involved and worry about the public reaction. I mean, there's so many things that have gone on in the last year with George Floyd, Black Lives Matter, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, what happened in Washington, DC, in the Capitol, and obviously the pandemic, which has changed everybody's lives. So as a judge, you know, you just have to address those issues as they, as they come. I mean, I just finished my term as the presiding judge. So when I was a presiding judge, I would have to sign certain orders <laughs> with regards to COVID conditions. And it took, we had a team, you know, we had a team of judges, court administrators who came up with a plan for how the court would respond to COVID conditions in terms of who would be allowed. We had to limit access to the courts we as a court had to go to remote technology certain matters we had to continue so it was a lot of issues because certain stakeholders our justice partners as we like to call them said well you should do it this way or you you shouldn't allow access or you should close the courts altogether." and so it was a process you know of evaluating and and you balance the risk And the main thing when I was presiding judge last year, the main thing for me was public safety. Yeah. Okay. That's the limitations and the the measures we put in place were to make sure that public safety was first. Yeah. So, I mean, that's what the pandemic has taught us is is public safety, efficiency. And obviously, as I mentioned earlier, the remote technology that was really brought about by COVID. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So kind of touching on um, something you mentioned in uh, that last response and ever, of course, everything that's happened even just the last year for us, given the current state of our country, what advice would you give to young people who are ready and willing to use their voice and power to pursue public service and creating positive change? Um, I think that's, I would encourage that. I would strongly emphasize that. I think it's so important that we do that. And that's part of what a mentor does to try to encourage public service. That's why I think judicial mentoring on my part and the part of other judges is so important because we need that. Uh, and we don't know what the future holds, um, And but we have to help one another. It's all about teamwork. It's all about supporting one another, understanding one another, you know, exercising empathy. And okay. public service is all those things, right? It's about giving support. It's about being a good listener. It's about being understanding. It's about caring. It's about empathy. It's all those things. 
Yeah. Which to me, give you satisfaction in your life as a whole. I mean, everybody, I think, feels good when you can do something positive for someone else. It's a good feeling. Right. Yeah. Right. And I think we all in some way want to do that. I think it's kind of inherent in who we are as people. So to me, the volunteering and helping others is so important. And again, it is part of my personal happiness. So I enjoy doing it. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree with all that. I always say, you know, even in casual conversations with friends or colleagues, especially of course, where we're at right now, like the only way we're going to get through this is together, right? Like being able to help one another. And like you said, like empathy and understanding each other and just being there for one another. That's the, the only way we're going to, you know, come out of this with 10 fingers, 10 toes and, you know, still be able to. We're all in this together and we've got to help one another. So we get through this, you know, the COVID numbers are scary right now and everything that's happened in LA with us. I mean, LA is literally the epicenter in the world (laughs) COVID-19 spread. I mean, we thought New York was bad. Now California is just taking over. So all it says is we'll get through this. We'll get through it together. We got to help one another. We got to understand. We got to exercise a lot of patience and a lot of caring and a lot of love. Right. To get through something like this. If this is a 100 year event, this pandemic, hopefully it never yeah. comes back. Right. <laughs> I know. It's, another, it's 200 years before we see the next exactly. one. Exactly. Yeah. If we, if, and hopefully not, because they, they're telling us, don't worry, there's going to be another pandemic. It, these uh, things do happen. Right. So, but the one thing I, I learned from the pandemic and just from, from public service is you see the good in people. Yeah. And, you see how people contribute and make a difference. And yeah. how, I mean, the caring, the compassion that I've seen from people who volunteer is just amazing. I mean, as a court, you know, we do a lot of things. We, we, we do a moot court program with the Constitutional Rights Foundation, which is coming up and I'm gonna be judging uh, next month. Okay. And we have high school students and they do a moot court competition. And to see these kids, and how excited they are, and actually how good they are <laughs> presenting these cases right. just goes to show you, you know what, our country's gonna be okay. You look yeah. at these young kids and what they're doing and how they're presenting this and handling the stress that comes with, because it's competition, so there's stress and their parents and their friends, yeah. but you know, you see the civility that they have among one another and how they care and how they go about and carry themselves as adults. And it's just, it's heartwarming. Yeah, I agree. I think on that point, that's another thing I've admired too, is seeing, like you said, just the resilience of people and mm-hmm. how, you know, like you said, people still willing to engage and show up for one another. And mm-hmm. I think it's, it's really inspiring. Mm-hmm. I always say God never gives you more than you can handle. Yeah, right? I love that. Um, yeah. It's hard. I was going to say, <laughs> at, time, at times you question it, yeah. Right, but that's okay, but yep. you can handle it. You're going to get through right. it. And, yep. and nobody is a success by themselves. We yeah. all need help to be a success. Totally. I mean, it's just like, if you have success, it's not worth it if you don't have anybody to share it with. So true. So. Yep. So true. So even throughout, you know, your accomplished and inspiring career so far, what's something else that's 
on your goal list that you'd like that you aim to achieve either in life or um, as you continue along in your career? So it's funny you asked me that question because um, I was, so when I came to the court 18 years ago, I never thought that I would be the presiding judge. Um, we have this wall in the, the main courtroom and it shows all the presiding judges. Okay. Um, predominantly white male, we've had two women. Yep. And I remember thinking I've never, you know, for me to get in that position would be the pinnacle of my career. Right. So, you know, now that it's happened and it happened during COVID. So I think I had to work harder than any other presiding judge. Right. In the right. of court. We've had some great leaders all those years. They've been fantastic. But I just think I had a little bit more to chew than they did. Sure. COVID. But I think for me, I'm at a point in my career where I've done what I wanted to do on the trial court. So yeah. I would like to get on the court of appeal. So that's hopefully my next endeavor. Okay. Uh, it's a process. You have to be appointed by the governor. And right. the reason why you, it's funny you mentioned that because I've been working on the application. Oh, okay. <laughs> I love it. Apply <laughs> for the court of appeal. Uh, it's not finished yet. I'm about in progress. There you go. In progress. I'm about a third of the way through it, but I've started it. <laughs> there we I go. Finish it. Yep. And so for me, I hope that's the next journey yep. to the Court of Appeal um, here in Los Angeles, the Second District Court of Appeal. So we'll see. Um, I'm getting that. I'm getting at that age where after 18 years on the court and 18 years as a lawyer, it's 36 years in the legal profession. My wife tells me, well, how much longer are you gonna do this? Right. <laughs> <laughs> so in some ways my time's running out, but that's a good thing. I mean, I'm, you know, as, as long as I have my health, you know, I told my wife right. I will keep working. So, but the court of appeal, that would be for me a perfect next step. Don't yeah. know what's gonna, don't know if it's gonna happen. Sure. But I figure nothing ventured, nothing gained. The only way to find out is to put that application in and talk to people and go through the vetting process and, and see what happens. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it, actually. Yeah. Well, and that's I'm super excited. Super I have a lot exciting. of friends who are justices on the Court of Appeal here. They seem to like what they do. And I think I would, something that I would enjoy doing, I think I'd be good at it. Right. So, right. We'll see. Yep. That's my yep. opinion. That's my yep. opinion. <laughs> All right. Well, super exciting, and um, all fingers crossed and good vibes your way that yes, that may you. be next, next chapter for you. Yeah, yeah, you know, got to appeal to the governor and other people. <laughs> right, right. I was say, quite the to-do list, but yeah. fingers, yes, fingers crossed. Yep. So um, kind of going back to what you were just sharing, um, being the first African-American judge named to your position, what advice can you share with members of the Bruin family from underrepresented communities about pursuing their dream jobs or making a seat for themselves at the table? You know, you have to, number one, you have to have the dream. Never give up on the dream. Number two, you need help. You're not going to get there by yourself. For me to get to the presiding judge, it was a coalition of people. And when I talk about a coalition, we're talking Latinos, Asians, African-Americans, gay and lesbian. I mean, all these people make up the court and they all vote. You have to win by a majority of the votes. So it was really about reaching out and reaching across different lines 
to get support and to find out what they needed as judges, what was important to them, how I could deliver what was important to them. Sure. And so it was all about team building for me and reaching out to people and just talking and getting to know people. I mean, the LA Superior Court is the largest trial court in the country. Right. There's over 500 judges. Wow. So, which, I mean, the next court in size to the LA Superior Court is, I believe, Orange County or San Diego, and they've got 130 oh judges, my gosh. and we've got wow. over 500. So, to win the election, you know, you need a majority. So, it was just about talking to people, meeting with people, listening. I mean, that's really the key. When you need the support of people, you, you have to listen to what they're telling you. Right. Um, and again, you have to build a team. You know, I had people supporting my my campaign, so to speak, to be the presiding judge. Um, friends. And I think friendships are so critical to success because those are the people who are going to be there. Those are the people that you're going to rely upon because things aren't always going to go smoothly. Um, there'll be ups and downs, but the friendships your family, the people in your, your significant other, wife, husband, whoever, those are the ones that you have to lean on. And sometimes you have to lean on them a lot, but that's okay. Yeah. That's okay. Cause that's how you get through the journey. Yeah, absolutely. That's yeah. Such, such great advice. And I think, um, that point about, you know, finding your community. And once again, like you said, being, being with the people and listening and being kind of on the ground, determining what the needs are and being able to have that awareness of what's going on yeah. will allow you to find those people who will continue to advocate for you and support you and your endeavors and things like that. And yeah, I, I totally echo, like there's times, right. You need to lean on those people more than you're, you know, can you handle this? But you know what? That's, that's life. Like that's how it goes. Yeah, when we were, when I was the presiding judge and we'd make decisions about what we're going to do on COVID, we had a, a COVID-19 work group of judges and court administrators. And when we'd make decisions, you know, we'd take input from everybody. Right. I didn't have all the answers. Sure. I didn't have all the answers. You need to listen to what other people have to say and evaluate it, do the balancing and then make the best decision that you can. And we're not perfect. Yeah. And, and you just use your best judgment and, and usually, usually things work out okay. There are going to be times when they don't, but then, you know, you go back and say, okay, let's figure out this problem. Right. So part of, you know, being a success is learning how to problem solve. And you do that with, with people, not too many. I mean, you can't have too many, cooks sure. but people that you trust and you can rely upon, they will guide you and help you get through it. Yeah, Absolutely. So wrapping up and, and you just touched on success. So perfect segue to our final question. We ask sure. every person in our interview. So since leaving UCLA, how has your career and life experiences shaped how you define success? Wow. I think it's um, what, first I look back at to what I learned at UCLA and that it was, you know, as you know, it's a big campus. And so I learned that you had to, certain things you have to do by yourself. And then other things you have to initiate. And that's what I learned about my career. I mean, people will help you. People will support you. But you have to kind of kickstart it. They may not necessarily approach you. Right. They, may not, they may seem distant. They may even seem as though they're not going to help you. But you'll be surprised if you reach out and ask for help. You'll be, you'll be amazed at how people will respond to that and 
answer the call and help you. So, I mean, for me, when, when I was at UCLA, um, I was very good about asking for help. Mm -hmm. I don't know how they do it now, but <laughs> making sure I had the right lecture notes and right. maybe getting a tutor for certain things. And they still do that. I don't know. I mean, and, yeah. As far as I know. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, all, I mean, we all need help. We all need somebody there to support us. And it's okay to ask for help. I mean, sometimes your pride will get in the way and you, you won't ask for help, but ignore that. There's nothing... Um, I mean, it can be embarrassing, but it's just part of life. We all have to ask for help and figure it out and work with people. So, and I think for me, just having the people skills to talk to one another, to ask for help, to understand. I mean, that's why I think empathy is so important. Right. To understand what someone else is about or what, what they're going through. When I'm yeah. on the bench and, and deciding cases, a lot of times I have to exercise that empathy because I say I want to be objective, but I also can't ignore what this person has experienced, what's been their journey, what's been the influences on why they did what they did. I mean, I've done, I did criminal cases for six years and oftentimes when I, the judge does the sentencing and you have to balance well, you give them a high term, you give them a low term, you give them a right. medium level prison sentence, you probation, you know, it, it took a lot of empathy to understand, well, why did this happen? Does this person deserving of, of, of a chance of a lesser sentence? There's a victim out there, there's a family out there who are looking and saying, we want justice. So it's, it's hard to balance, but it's just something that in one way you enjoy, but it's all, all something that you learn and you learn it from others. So for me, trying to be a role model for other judges, again, going back to being a mentor, that teaching, that learning, that's to me so important. That's all about giving back. Yeah, and I, I was going to say, I can't stress your point enough about the not like asking for help and not being afraid to ask for help. I think especially, you know, even in my three something years working for UCLA, like just seeing the students and alumni that come from this university, of course, you know, being the number one public university, you have all these high achievers and overachievers and, right. you know, they were valedictorians and all of this. And I think especially for so many and, and specifically, I think for those coming from maybe first generation in their family, there's that pressure to have it all figured out. And you know right. what you're doing compared when you compare yourself to everyone else. But, um, you know, I always say to even, you know, students and young alumni that, you know, everyone has been where you've been, right? Like everyone, we're all, even the people that look like they have it figured out, they don't, you know, like sure. we're all figuring it out and yeah. trying to remind and they need help too. Exactly. They yeah. need help too. And they're totally. willing to help you. So. Yep. Yeah. And once again, kinda, just, it's called life. Yeah. Yeah. And that lifting as you climb motto that you expressed earlier, I think, that, you know, getting to that point, reaching certain points in your career and looking back, like you said, and being able to help that next group and generation to reach those same milestones that you have now that you have the advice or the perspective and experience. That's the only way, like you said, that we get better as society, community, and, you know, people doing, figuring it all out together. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. People always ask me about jury trials and I say, you know, that is the best part of the legal system because you have 12 people trying to figure it out. 
Right. And I've tried many cases and I would, people always would ask me, well, does the jury usually get it right? And, I, and my answer is, yeah, I wow. really believe they get it right. And when I look at all the cases that I've had as a trial lawyer and as a judge, you, I look back and reflect and it's like, you know what, those people worked really hard and they came to the right result and they came to the right decision, which just goes to show you why you need help. You need a group, you need a collaboration. Yeah. Come up with what's best. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Judge Brazil, for your time today. And congratulations so again on your UCLA Award for Public Service. I really enjoyed our conversation. And thank you for all you do for UCLA, mentoring and giving back and inspiring the next generation of Bruins. Thank you so much. Go Blue. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> You've been listening to Bruin Success. Our guest this week was presiding judge Kevin Brazil of the Superior Court of Los Angeles County. You can find more information on Kevin in the description of the episode. Follow UCLA Alumni Career Engagement on Instagram and Facebook to keep up with Bruin Success. If you enjoyed our podcast, subscribe to it, tell a friend, or share your support on social media. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time when we're back with Dr. Suhir Doss of the Pancreatic Cancer Action Network. This podcast was made possible by UCLA alumni.